Good morning. I encourage you this morning to take out a Bible and follow along as we examine a, a, a question I believe is very important for us to understand this morning. Now, as you're doing that, taking out your Bibles and getting them prepared, uh, I would just like to reiterate the, the welcome that, that Brother Joe gave each and every one of you that are here, especially to our visitors. We are so thankful for you having chosen to be with us and, and all the things that you could have chosen to do on such an absolutely gorgeous day. And yet you chose to be here, to be gathered together uh, with, with, uh, those, with the saints, with those of like precious faith. And that is the, the best thing that we could choose to do uh, on, on this beautiful morning, to gather together and worship and, and study from God's Word. As Joe also mentioned, the PowerPoint is going to be broadcasted over here. And, uh, I, I would like to, to get your opinions on this after, after the service. Not so much about how it looks like on a, on a sheet, uh, but how it looks like in that location. So if, if you would please uh, do that for us, it would be very beneficial to us here. Now as we examine this question that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, I hope that there will be a product of this lesson that will be beneficial to you. Because it was beneficial to me in studying for it and preparing myself for it. And what prompted me to study this question was because of actually some other questions that I am quite often asked. Occasionally I am asked things like, are you Church of Christ? Or usually more pointedly, are you a preacher or a Church of Christ preacher? Sometimes maybe you've been asked, are you a member of the Church of Christ? Now when I'm asked that question more and more often... I find myself being just a little bit hesitant to reply, a little bit careful and thoughtful in my answer. And that's not because I wish to be evasive. It's not because I wish to try and, and, and be, uh, use some form of trickery when I answer that question. But it's because I understand that that question oftentimes comes from a mindset that makes an easy answer sometimes a little difficult. If I was to offer up just a simple yes uh, a simple response like that, it's possible that the one asking the question might be left with the wrong impression. And the difficulty revolves around this question right here. That is, what is the church of Christ? Because the phrase church of Christ means different things to different people. And so if we are to understand the term church of Christ alike, then we are to do so and avoid misunderstanding. To illustrate the challenge that we face in talking to others about the Church of Christ, I want to look at three different views that are commonly held uh, in, in, in our day. The first one is the denominational view. And the explanation of this view is, is the Church of Christ is made up of churches with the name Church of Christ. And that's, that's pretty seems pretty obvious view. The Church of Christ is made up of those churches with the name Church of Christ. And the Church of Christ as such is but one denomination amongst many denominations. And together with the other denominations, the Church of Christ and them to combined make up the body of Christ. Now those who, who may hold this view include many in other denominations, whether it be from the Catholic denomination or a Baptist or Methodist denomination. And it's understandably so because they come from a mindset that is denominational in nature. That is their view. Their own church, their own denomination is but a part of the body of Christ. So we can see obviously that people from other denominations might have this view, but also this is a view that's sometimes held in mainstream churches of Christ. And I say mainstream because they make up the majority of the congregations with the name Church of Christ over the door. 
especially when those congregations are filled with members who maybe came from a denomination. Maybe they bring a little bit of that denominational mindset with them. And perhaps they, they, are, are, they are thinking that they simply left one denomination for another, uh, albeit a, a, maybe they think it's a better one, but still just yet another denomination. This also includes those uh, preachers and elders who maybe have a, a bit of a liberal mindset. Uh, and perhaps uh, they have a bit of a uh, reacting to uh, another view that we'll look at in just a minute, a sectarian view. They'll see maybe that there is error found in that view. And so they have went as far from that view as they can, trying to get away from that, uh, from that non-denominational viewpoint of the church. Or maybe there comes from congregations that have just grown weary and grown tired of trying to maintain a non-denominational view of the church. In a religious environment where denominationalism is, is presumed to be the only option, most people have this same sort of view of the church of Christ, that it is another denomination amongst many. And that's reflected in their question when they say, so are you, are you church of Christ? Are you a member of the church of Christ? There's another view that I already alluded to, that is the sectarian view. <clears throat> And people that hold to this view believe, again, the Church of Christ is made up of churches with the name Church of Christ, but it is made up of churches with the, only with the name Church of Christ. These churches constitute the one true church, the body of Christ, and people in any other congregation cannot possibly be members of the body of Christ. Now, who holds to this view? Well, again, we will use that term, mainstream churches of Christ. There are many in the mainstream Church of Christ that hold this view especially those who view the Church of Christ as the only official name for the Lord's Church. And it's evidenced by their exclusive use of that expression, Church of Christ. It's almost as if it's, it's a banner that, that, that they stand under. But this also includes non-mainstream churches of Christ. Those, those who include, uh, uh, that would include those who identify themselves uh, based on where they stand on certain issues. They would tend to judge a congregation as being a true Church of Christ congregation uh, depending on how they stand on particular issues, such as non-institutional. If a congregation is, is one that opposes the institution of, uh, of, of supporting human institutions, excuse me, a church that opposes supporting human institutions such as, as uh, food banks or orphanages or things of that matter, well, that makes them the Church of Christ. Or those that maybe are all for mutual edification. That, that is the idea of not having or opposing a located preacher. Uh, that would be me. Someone that says, well, we won't have a located preacher, just the men of the congregation will take turns preaching. That is what makes them a faithful church of Christ. And in particular, those who hold to this sort of view would be those who call themselves the international church of Christ. They demand allegiance to one head church which was formerly located in Boston and they view any church that is not in allegiance to that, to that church as a church that is apostate. This view is often held by those who are trying very hard to maintain a non-denominational view of the church of Christ. And again, similar to those that maybe hold the denominational view, they are looking at things on a spectrum and they are seeing those who are very, very far left and they say we have to run very, very far right to divide ourselves from them and, and, and in, in doing so create uh, sectarianism. But then there is what I will call, what I will term 
the third view that we will look at, the biblical view. What does the Bible say about what the church of Christ is in the universal sense? Uh, <clears throat> it describes it in two different ways, and one being this universal sense, and in that it says that it is composed of all Christians. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16 for a moment. Matthew 16 and verse 18, this is the church to which Jesus was referring to in verse 18 when he said to Peter, I say unto you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Here Jesus is referring to this universal church, the church that he is building. Oh, and over in Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 through 24 Remember these verses, we will, we will refer to them a couple more times during this sermon. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, the Hebrew writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, and the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of his new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of of Abel. The Hebrew writer here is saying that is confirming to us that the church, the church is made up of all the saved, those who are living today and those who have already passed on. We also see in the Bible that there is just one universal church. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 22 through 23. It says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. So we read in Ephesians chapter 1 that the church, the universal church, is referred to as the body of Christ. And over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, it tells us very plainly, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So we see there is only one true universal church. We can also see when that church began, when that church was instituted on the day of Pentecost. If we were to read through the book of Acts, uh, and especially Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 47 are describing the institution of that church, especially the latter part of the chapter. But then as we refer to over to Acts chapter 11, and we think who was talking in Acts chapter 2, Peter doing all that discussion in Acts chapter 11... In verse 15, Peter confirms this was the beginning of the church when he says, As I began to speak, and upon us uh, as he did, excuse me, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. This was the beginning of the church. And we see that at the beginning of the church, the one true church, this universal church, there was only one way to be added to it. The entrance into the church was, uh, was done only by being added by the Lord. Back over in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 tells us, So then those who, have, who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were, about three, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see in this is that one simply cannot join the true church. 
just by their own volition. They can't just decide, you know what, today I am, I've decided I'm a part of the church. That is what I am. That describes me. No, the Bible tells us that is not the case. Rather, one is added into the church by the Lord himself, and it is him that keeps the membership. There's no agency on this earth that has a book, that has a a, a, a ledger or of some sort that keeps the registry of the true members. We can't go to any place on this earth and say, hey, look me up. Am I, am I a part of that true church? No, the enrollment is in heaven. We read that over in Hebrews chapter 12 earlier, but let's look over at 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 19, listen to how it describes the relationship of God's knowledge with those who are saved. It says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having his seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. God keeps the ledger. God has the membership. The, the, the book is a divine book, the book of life, in which our names are added to. And there is no place on earth where we can go and double check to make sure our name is in that. Again, not only is, is, the universe, is the church universal composed of all Christians, but it is composed of all the saved. The Lord is presenting to himself a church that is holy and without blemish. As Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 27 tells us. So those who are in the church are going to be those who are... Who, who are not sinning, those who are not repenting from sin. Because those who do sin, those who refuse to repent, who refuse to turn away from sin, well, the Bible tells us very simply what God does with those people. They are, John chapter 15, verses 2 and verse 6, cut off. They're cut off from the vine. Romans chapter 11, verses 19 through 22, they are cast off. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, they are spewed out. The, the, the church universal is made up of only the saved. If we are not saved, if we are, are either lost or we maybe at one point were saved but now continue to, to walk in sin, we are not a part of the church universal. And so that tells us that we must, to be in the church universal, we must be saved. For the Lord is the Savior of His body. Ephesians chapter 5. And that passage in Ephesians 5 that talks about the way the, husband, or the wife is to having a relationship with the husband and the husband's relationship with the wife. Notice what it says in verse 23 here. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, of the church he himself being the Savior of the body. If the church is his body, then we must be a part of the body to, for him to be our Savior. And since the Lord adds one to his church when they are saved, one cannot be saved and not be in the church universal. Another thing that we notice is that there is no earthly organization to the church universal. Now, there is organization to God's church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, uh, 22. Let's turn over there. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is is grown into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Peter says, 
in this passage. First Peter chapter two verse five. Um, I'm in Second Peter. Excuse me. First Peter two verse five. And you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. What does that tell us? That tells us there's definitely organization in the in the church, in God's church, the, in the universal church. But that organization that exists is spiritual in nature. For example, Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And together with him, with his apostles and his prophets, they have laid the foundation of the church. And all Christians living and 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 even those who have passed on, the Christians are these stones that the church is built upon, building up the church. And we see Christ as the head of the church. So what that means is there's no earthly headquarters for the church. That means there's no telephone number that we can just pick up. We can, we can dial up and say, hey, I want to speak to the head of the church because the head of the church is Christ and the headquarters are in heaven. What that means then, if there is no earthly organization, there is no way for the church to be divided. If there was an earthly organization, certainly division could exist. And if divisions appear to exist in a, a local church, what we'll talk to in a minute, about in a minute, then unscriptural organizations of the church must have been created. Such organization can have division, but not within the Lord's church universal. Those who would seek maybe to divide the church through doctrine or through conduct. Again, what happens to these people? They are simply cut off by the Lord himself. Ephesians 4 reminds us there is and there will always be the one body. Not a body divided, but the one body. And so we need to make sure that we are remaining faithful to be in that one body. Now another thing that we might notice about the church is that death doesn't affect membership of the church universal. As we read in Hebrews 12, the church universal is made up, is made up of the saved, both living and the dead. Turn over to Philippians chapter 1 for a minute. In Philippians chapter 1, we see that when one dies, when one dies with Christ, they are still with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23, Paul talking, he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. So death does not affect our membership in the church universal. Then lastly, I want to point out that the church universal does not have one official name. There are many terms uh, used to describe it, and no exclusive name or term is, is ever used to describe it. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. Here we read, Give no offense either to Jew or Greek or to the church of God. The church of God is used to describe the, the, the church universal there. In Ephesians chapter 1, we already read that passage. We'll turn back over there again. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We'll remember here, it is referred to as the body in verse 23, which is speaking of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Colossians chapter 1, in verse 13, Colossians 1 and verse 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Yet another phrase that is used to describe the church universal. 
And so these are, these are a biblical view of the universal sense of the church, composed of all Christians, just having one, begun on the day of Pentecost, entered into by being added by the Lord, kept up the books of membership, kept up by the Lord. It consists of all the saved and is something we must be a part of to be saved, has no earthly organization, can't be defined, uh, divided, death doesn't affect membership, and it does not have any one official name. But this is not the only way the church is described in the Bible. Another biblical view of the church is the sense of the church local. And again, here we see the church local is composed of Christians, but composed of Christians in one location. A local church is made up of Christians in a geographical area. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 2 talks about the church at Corinth. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1 talks about the church of the Thessalonians. In contrast to the church universal, we see the church universal made up of Christians everywhere. But the church local is a localized group, a gathering of Christians who are members of the church universal. The thing we see is that there are many churches. Paul had reference to local churches when he wrote Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16. The churches of Christ greet you. Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All, uh, kiss. all the churches of Christ greet you. And again, over in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. It's referring to many churches. And where it comes to the church universal, there is just one. There are many local groups of, of, of saved believers, those who make up the church universal, that would be part of, the church, of a local church. Now, the church universal began in Antioch, or in Jerusalem, excuse me. The church universal began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But local churches have begun at different places and at different times. They begin whenever people join themselves together. As the gospel spreads and people respond to it, people in a particular area start a local church when they agree to work together as one. It's exactly what we see happening over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 verses 19 through 26 is the church at Antioch. It says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What do we see happening in Antioch? We see that from the scattering of the Jews, or excuse me, from the Christians from Jerusalem, they had gone out and they had tell, began telling other people what they had learned, what they were being taught, and what they were following. And other people began to, to uh, learn what they were teaching them. They began to look and listen to the, the, the gospel account that they were reciting to them. They began to grow as well. They began to be, uh, to be pricked of heart as they were in, 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 in Jerusalem. And they decided, we need to be a part of this too. 
And as these people began to join themselves together, they started to form local churches of the universal church. And they entered into that by joining themselves together. See, when when one wishes to become an accepted member of a local church, they join themselves to that church. We had the blessing of having that happen just today with Sister Dorinda, joining herself with us here to work together. This is the example that Paul did. Paul sought to do this when he came to to the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Some really important things are happening here in Acts chapter 9 too. In verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. Paul saw the need for him to be joined with them and be working with them. But notice what happened. He said, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple because they remembered who Paul was, that he was a formerly Saul. And he was not such a nice guy. He was doing things that were very contrary to discipleship. But in verse 27, Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Paul sought to do this exact thing, to join himself with a local group so that they would work together. But one thing we see in that is the enrollment into that local church was based upon human judgment. Whether one is accepted into a local church is a decision made by the the elders of that congregation or by the members of that congregation. And sometimes people, like Paul was in danger of having, sometimes people are rejected when they should be received. John talks about this over in 3 John chapter, uh, verses 5 through 9. In 3 John verses 5 through 9, John writes, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that they may be fellow workers with the truth. Now, I wrote something to the church about, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. Evil men may succeed in kicking one out of a local church. And notice the, the, the being weary of one trying to enter into a local church is not what is being condemned here. It was not condemned that they were weary of Paul and not for sure that he was a disciple. They needed to, to have proof of that that was shown through Barnabas. And, and Diotrephes here is not condemned because he was uh, leery of, of, of accepting a doctrine or of allowing those to, to be a part of the work there. But it was because of his attention to himself, his desire to be first, and his rejection of sound doctrine, and then the rejection of those who, who would accept sound doctrine. He was being evil in that sense. And so evil men can succeed in kicking one out of a local church But remember, only the Lord, we went over in the universal church, only the Lord determines who stays in the universal church. 
And so what that tells us then, if evil men can be a part of a local congregation and can be able to kick men out of the congregation, kick other people out of that congregation, then the local church consists of both the saved and the lost. I think this is one of the most eye-opening things to people and maybe the reason why so many refuse to, to be a part of a church. They say, well, that church is full of nothing but hypocrites. That's exactly right. A lot of times that's exactly the case. A local church can be full of hypocrites because the local church has enrollment based upon human judgment and that means a local church is going to be filled with people who are both righteous and people who are not living righteously because enrollment is through uh, those who make fallible decisions. And so a local church may therefore have some who are nominal Christians at best. In fact, we see examples of that even in the in, in Jesus' time and in the, the, the time of the book of Revelation when it was written. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and when they write to the church of Sardis, he says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come, I will come to you. But you have a few, you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. What that tells me about the church of Sardis is that it was not the majority there that were righteous. There was a few described in Sardis as having not soiled their garments. The church local consists of both those who are saved, those who are walking righteously, and it consists of the lost. That means you're going to have hypocrites who may become members of the local church. But that also means that we must remember they are not going to sneak by the Lord to become members of the universal church. Because we remember the Lord, for those who are, are living in sin, those who refuse to repent, He cuts them off. He casts them out. Another thing we need to recognize is that if, if the church consists of both the saved and the lost in the local sense, then you do not have to be in this to be saved. Now, before we, we jump up and grab our pitchforks and say, Kyle's saying you don't need the church, well, let's hear me out. That's not what I'm saying. One can be saved and not be a part of a local church. We see this exact thing happening in, over in the book of Acts in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 9, excuse me, Acts chapter 8 in verse, in verse 39. Acts chapter 8 in verse 39, we read here, uh, starting in verse 38, And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip, uh, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, the eunuch is on his way back from on a very long journey. I imagine the eunuch uh, is, is, is not just about right back to Ethiopia. He's, he's come from Jerusalem, and he's got a long ways to go. And somewhere in the midst of his journey, he runs. Philip is, is, is able to, to meet with him, and, and he learns from him the truth. And he says, I have to respond to this. What's hindering me? Here's water. Why can't I be saved? Philip said, let's do it. 
Let's come down. Let's be baptized. And he was baptized and he was saved. And he still has a long journey ahead of him. So we can see that you don't have to be in the church to be saved, but it should be temporary. It should be very temporary. In the universal church, this is absolutely impossible. We must be in the church universal, in the church that Jesus died to institute, and the church that Jesus speaks about in Matthew. We must be a part of that to be saved. But we can be a part, or we can we cannot be a part of the church and still hear the message that is proclaimed and respond to that message and be saved. But it'll be very hard for us to continue, and actually impossible for us to continue walking as Christians without the local church. But we do not have to be a part of that to first be saved. Second thing we see is that the earthly church uh, or the local church does have earthly organization. In Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 look at how Paul starts this letter to the Philippians. <clears throat> Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. A local church, when a local church is scripturally organized, that means that they are built up by the way that God intends for a local church to be built up. They will have overseers and they will have deacons. These words, sometimes some translations say bishops and deacons. They are also, bishops also known as pastors and elders or shepherds. It was their role to oversee and to feed the flock. Turn over to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And look in verse 20, or chapter 20, excuse me, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. This was something that was common in many places. Verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves. This is in this discussion with the elders at Ephesus. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So we see there is organization within the local church in which God intends for there to be. He intends for there to be elders to oversee the flock. He intends for there to be deacons to do the work of ministering and serving the flock. The only role or position that was ever given to the universal church, uh, given to men over the universal church, was that with the apostles and the prophets in which the foundation was laid. But notice, when they died, they were not replaced. That was not an office that was continued or a position that was continued. In Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, we read about the death of James, the brother of John, in verse, uh, in verse 2. said, and he had James, this is speaking of Herod the king, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That's it. That's the, that, that's the last that we hear of, of, of the role of James as an apostle, and nobody has ever picked to replace James. Their job was done. But the earthly organization of the local church is one carried out by elders and by deacons. We also need to note that since there is earthly organization, a church can be divided. Local churches can easily be divided over doctrine or sometimes over personalities. 
This was the case of the church at Corinth. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be made complete and in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's talking to the Corinthian church there, and he's talking about this fact that division was existing at that time. They were being divided because of these, these different viewpoints that they were having, saying, I'm, I'm a part of this. They were, they were creating sex within the church of Christ. I'm a part of this with Paul, and I, well, I'm a part of Apollos. And even over in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul goes on still talking about this, saying, For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulos, are you not mere men? So absolutely, local churches can be divided. While we can't divide the universal's church, we have a responsibility to try and keep the local church from being divided. Another thing that's important to see is that death absolutely does affect membership in the local Church. When we die, our membership in a local congregation ends. It might it carries on in the universal church, but in that local sense, it ends. When Stephen died, over in Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter eight, verses one and two, when Stephen died, it ended his membership with the Jerusalem church. Verse one says Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Speaking of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Stephen wasn't a part of the church. The church was being dispersed and being spread out. Stephen, his life is over. His membership in this local church has ended. He is buried, and, and that's the end of his relationship with that local church there. But our membership in the church universal continues on after death. Then lastly, I want to focus on this, that we can use different scriptural names in the local church. That names showing relationship to God, names that show relationship to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. One, one such name is to the church of God, which is that Corinth. A lot of times we probably wouldn't think about attending with the church of God. That's not a place that, that maybe I'm going to attend, but that is a very scriptural name, the church of God. 1 Corinthians, um, excuse me, <clears throat> Romans chapter 16, verse 16, uses the name churches of Christ. Some places are identified by the location of their members. Another one uh, we, we, we talked about a little bit yesterday in our, uh, in, in our study at Jay's place, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Maybe a name we probably had never given much thought is a name that reflects the location of the members. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. Now, oftentimes do we think of, of a name like that? The church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That name is repeated over in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, in, in Paul's next, next letter to him, it's still a name that they are using. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. There is no one official name, but we should be, be desiring to use 
scriptural names. When we, when we speak of the name of a local church, we should desire to have scriptural names. So these two views, the biblical view of the church universal and the church local, who is it that holds to these views? Well, again, many in the mainstream church of Christ hold to this view. Though sometimes there is a definite trend towards denominationalism, there are still those who call for non-denominational, or maybe more accurately, historical Christianity. Christianity like that of the first century. Christianity like that of which we read about in the Bible. And then there are those in non-mainstream churches of Christ. Those who often, again, identify themselves as non-institutional. Those who maybe oppose that which leads to denominationalism. Those who would, uh, oppose a church supporting uh, support of a human institution. Those who oppose a church-sponsored arrangement where one church oversees the work of other churches. Churches of Christ like that oftentimes will hold to this biblical view. And then there are churches that are unknown by others of the church of Christ. Those who might wear another scriptural name, maybe such as the church of God, but yet they hold true to the apostles' doctrine revealed in the New Testament. And they are both known by the Lord and recognized by the Lord as belonging to Him. And then there are churches that maybe may not be true in all regards. Those who may have a correct view of the church origin and maybe a correct view of church organization, but maybe they remain ignorant or in error regarding other things such as the proper worship or work of the church. Sometimes churches like this will still hold to a biblical view. And so in conclusion, what does all this mean? When we come to this question, what is the church of Christ? Well, as I understand it, and as I strive to use this phrase, the church of Christ is not a denomination amongst other denominations. And it is not some sect identified by one exclusive name. It is not just something that is the church of Christ because it says church of Christ above the door. It is the Lord's church as defined and revealed in the New Testament. The Lord's church is then again spoken of in the Bible in primarily two ways. The church universal and the church local. And when properly understood, we see that the church of Christ is the one body of Christ. It is the church, Ephesians 4, 4, Ephesians 1. The church is made up of disciples called Christians, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It is made up of those who work and worship together in local churches. And those who abide in the apostles' doctrine, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It is also made up of those who honor Jesus' prayer for unity. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21, and it is made up of those who not only honor that prayer for unity, but they still deplore religious division in all its forms, and even including denominationalism, such as seen in 1 Corinthians 1, 10. So in response to those original questions, are you church of Christ? Are you, are you a church of Christ preacher? Are you a member of the church of Christ? I oftentimes try to respond like this. I try to say, I am not. I am not church of Christ because that reflects a denominational concept. I am a preacher of the gospel of Christ. I am an evangelist or just simply I am a Christian. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a member of his body. I am a member of the church that you can read about in the New Testament. And you know what? I do work with a, and, and I worship with a, a non-denominational congregation of Christians. We're known as the Lake Street Church of Christ in Nicholasville, Kentucky. But make no mistakes. 
I am simply a Christian, a part of a local body that's serving Christ. That's my strive, to serve and, and, and to follow Jesus without divisions, without denominationalism, and in view of his prayer for unity, and in view of the condemnation of religious division. And I pray that that is your striving as well. Now this morning, we've talked a whole lot about what the church is. We haven't talked a lot about how to join that universal church. In Acts chapter 2, when that church began, the people that, that were joining that church were those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 38, Peter told them to be baptized, having their sins washed away they for the forgiveness of their sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. They're being saved from their sins. That is still the, day, the way today that we enter into the church, through believing in Christ through confessing that before men, through turning away, repenting of our sin and being buried with him in that baptism, having our sin washed away. And having done that, we remain steadfast. We, we, when we are steadfast, we don't grow weary when doing good. We don't shift our views left and right from what is true. We, we walk that path, constantly looking forward. This morning, we have an opportunity. There is an invitation open to you. If you have not yet done so, to become a child of God, to be, to be transferred into His kingdom, the kingdom of His Son, to be a member of the church that Christ died to institute. There is water here. The only thing hindering you is yourself. Is Satan telling you that it's not worth it. I encourage you this morning not to listen to, the, to, the, to, to his lies, but listen to the word of God. We see that Jesus desires for us. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. In just a moment, we are going to sing that song of invitation. And if, if that be your desire, I would encourage you to please come forward and let it be known. Or if you have maybe done so, but you have allowed sin to creep back into your life, we are here to help. We are here to lift one another up and to encourage one another, to pray for you. We would love to do that. Please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.